This episode of Modern Manhood is brought to you by Edmonton Community Foundation's Well-Endowed Podcast. On this month's episode, they speak with the Honorable Anne McClellan about marijuana and what legislation will mean to us, the challenges that she faces around legalizing pot, and the benefits, besides the obvious. It's a pretty important thing, this pot legality issue, and we're glad the Well-Endowed Podcast is up to the task to inform you why. You can check it out by going to thewellendowedpodcast.com. This episode is also brought to you by the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, who is proud to be the sponsor of this year's Pod Summit, Western Canada's podcast conference. So join us on May 5th at CKUA in Edmonton to meet some other amazing podcasters, learn about techniques and ideas, and maybe win some amazing prizes, like some sure mics. If you have a podcast, you will learn how to make it sound amazing, grow your audience, and create a show where your listeners will love Tickets are just $150, and they are already 60% sold out. So get yours today at podsummit.com. Welcome back to another episode of Modern Manhood, presented by Next Gen Men, an exploration of modern masculinity and the way it shapes us in the modern world. I'm your host, Herman Vijays. Modern Manhood is part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATV, and is supported and helped out by the wonderful people at Next Gen Men, a nonprofit dedicated to bringing healthy masculinity with youth programs, business work, and groups. You can check out what Next Gen Men is doing right now at nextgenmen.ca. So, I wrote this piece for my little daily blog on Medium, which I will link in the show notes when you see them, and I wrote it about life coaches and how I found them to be, I don't know, kind of disingenuous. You know, giving you advice on what's going on and pretending to be nice so they can get money from you. Or, you know, maybe I was just concerned about a particular so-called sagely man who is very popular right now. I think you might know who it is. But I was surprised that I was asked to speak to David Ogle, who's a performance coach from Dose Coaching. You know, he mentioned to me that he was curious about masculinity and how it shapes us. And he was super keen to explore this with me. You know, and I was curious to hear his thoughts too. Like, um, I know he's very interested about neuroscience. I know he was very interested about just performance in general um, and how men, specifically uh, people who are in leadership, want to be connected to so-called life coaches. And I found that kind of fascinating. You you see, David studies neuroscience, and he has embedded this into his coaching. And so with his study on the brain and his unique background that you will hear about on this episode, he was less about giving these scripted answers or advice and more about being curious about his thought pattern and also why people become defensive when they hear certain things. And he actually was feeling that a little bit about it himself. And to be honest, my skepticism about life coaches in in general were lifted from my head as soon as he started talking. And he actually caught me at a joke, which you'll hear, the first thing that you'll hear, uh, that flew right over my head until it was way too deep. We chatted for a while. And so for the sake of me not cutting his story and what he said, I'm going to split this into two parts. So this is part one with my conversation with David Ogle. How do you pronounce your last name? Ogle? Ogle. O-G-L-E. Ogle. Okay. 
Perfect. It's kind of like um, I have another website that it's not my business, but it's far more well known, and it's it's gogo.com. Oh, okay. Cool, cool. That that's pretty cool. What kind of website is it? You know, you can really find just about anything on there. What, what do you mean by anything? Like, what's what's on that website? Um, how about you type it into your browser? Okay. Real quick. What is it? Go go ogle. Google.com. Oh, duh. Sorry. Yeah. That's such a yeah, dumb joke. Okay. <laughs> it it might be my favorite joke on earth, and oh I just want God. you to know, like, <laughs> I I had an immense amount of pleasure. Watching you just be so nice, like, oh, okay, why? Why the fuck is this guy talking about this other website? Find anything? What do you mean? Yeah. Oh God, I just felt so stupid. That's the funniest thing in the world. Uh, if it makes you feel any better, um, I got my mom with that as well. So, you know. Oh, great. That's that's a great start to this. <laughs> Uh, David, thanks so much for, uh, for being on the show. Um, what, um, what made you want to talk to, um, myself about specifically around like masculinity and maybe around gender? Cause this is a, this is a more of a podcast around that, but like, I want to get your thoughts around it. What's, what, what, what kind of ideas and thoughts you had in your head that maybe some questions that you had or maybe some thoughts, um, that maybe you want to be able to talk about? Oh, man. This is like the most complicated answer on earth. And I'm like, the, the simple answer is, like, if I, if I look at my career, it, like, I was the guy who ended up working for the yoga company, who ended up finding out that he was really passionate about leadership and like, what does leadership mean? And, and exploring like, the functions of leadership, the role of a leader, the impact of a leader. And then, as I did more and more work around re- leadership, obviously it meant a lot of work around like me and what my leadership is and recognizing the role I play in the world, which then basically became, I became the guy who accidentally realized he really cares about the role of men in the world. And then that was like a whole new rabbit hole of like, what does it mean to be a man? And, and to be honest, a lot of it came from a huge complaint that I, I don't like most of the conversation about men, masculinity, manhood, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and there's probably like eight million stories to explain that from my life. So, so I found myself in this place of complaint around the conversation of masculinity and then realized, well, shit, like I should probably do something about that mm-hmm. rather than just sit here and judge all these people like, well, you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're an idiot. <laughs> now I'm just an asshole. <laughs> um, good. I'm at, my swear meter's at two. We're off to a good start. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> so, so that was like the opening for me of, of realizing, and this is something that I, I realized, like I declared at one point of, I want to pioneer a new brand of masculine leadership. Really put the wheels in motion of, what do I even mean by that? Like, I'm clear on this vision of there is a different way of being and a different way of talking. And, and I love the term a new brand because it's it's really how people look at it and, it's, and see it and experience it. And it's not necessarily um, that men need to change because that's part of my complaint as I look at a lot of the, the masculine conversation out there is, like, men suck. Well, you know, and part of my background is in neuroscience and the psychological component of that is 
if I tell you you suck, it's not very motivating for you to change. And, and then I guess like the, the evolution of that conversation of like, okay, what is the conversation to be had about masculinity? Um, keeps bringing me back to the end goal is not to have a masculine conversation and a feminine conversation. It's for both sides to do the work they need to do so that we can have a human conversation. You, you definitely put up some good points. And uh, I, I totally agree that, that sometimes a conversation can become very uh, generalistic and specifically in regards um, to men in general. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's when you, when a guy hears the words, all men suck or men are terrible at this or whatever, um, that it drives them away from that conversation and it drives them out into a space of, of defensiveness and uh, a space of maybe a, a accusatory even. Um, and it's, it's, it's not the space where you want to be for change. And I'm, I'm sure that's something that you know yourself as a, as a coach and, uh, um, and you're right. Like that's, that's not the space where we can have these honest dialogues and have these honest conversations. Um, you know, there's definitely some areas where men, I feel, and, and in, in general, the, the royal we can, we can be a little bit better. But at the same time that we're not all, we're, we're not all this one glob of, of people. We are all individualistics in our own way. Um, so what are the, what are the, what are the steps that you have done um, to kind of maybe make that conversation a little bit better for yourself or for other people or for the for the people that you see? Oh man, that's a good question. And I think like something you just said that, that I really like is it's not that men need to be better; it's humans need to be better. Mm-hmm. And and I, like to to flesh out the complaint or the frustration I have is it, it quickly devolves into. Men are X and need to do Y, which is an interesting chromosomal example. <laughs> um, and, and women are Y and need to be seen for Y. So it's like men need to change and women need to be empowered. But then men quickly start to feel like, well, how do I speak out without looking like a jerk? I think uh, there's a, a fear, but there's a fear that sits in of, I know that I am privileged. Like, look at me. I'm a white male. Right. So I've got a lot going for me just because of the way I was born. And the, the bias that starts to percolate for me is like feeling bad or feeling like maybe I, like I should just stay out of this because there's an ultimate trump card against me if I try and join the dialogue of like, well, you're the problem. So then, I, it, like, if I boil that down to, like, the cognitive neuroscience is I'm trying to keep myself socially safe by being quiet. Because if I speak up and say something, someone could tell me all the reasons I'm wrong, and I already know those. Right. But then, it, like, when I actually stop that and look at that logic, I'm like, wait, sit on the sidelines and do nothing and just watch the world pass by? Mm. And, like, Come on, like I'm, I'm a coach. I, I coach CEOs and professional athletes. Like I spend multiple hours every day gently reminding my clients not to do that. Right, like, right, right, okay. right. Totally. Yeah. So I'm like, like it, you know, being a coach has been the best self development because I have to keep, you know, asking myself the questions I ask others. Mm-hmm. And then that was like there was a moment, and I remember 
it was the same moment that caused me to start my own business a year ago, which was if I'm a stand for people pursuing what they truly believe in and, and using their voice to change the world for better, then I'm a giant hypocrite if I'm not doing that for myself. So the, the constant reminder I have to have in the masculine conversation is I have so much to learn and we all do. And if someone had it figured out, so famous by now. Yeah, totally. But like, but that's, that's the problem is I, I actually think a lot of people are waiting for someone to figure it out rather than doing what we're doing. It's the dialogue of what do you know? What do I know? And, and is there a way for us to share this? Thank God, like with podcasts that like gets slowly more and more people asking themselves the questions that they actually can't ask themselves. Yeah. Without, without some influence. And you raise up again some, some really good, some really good points. And like, it reminds me of, um, work that, uh, another guest that I had on my show, uh, Dr. Joseph Gelfer talked about those five stages of masculinity. And he said that we're stuck on this third stage, which is kind of the critique of masculinity. And we haven't evolved to find out what is multiple different forms of masculinity. And I think we're that he called it the stage four. And he's like, we're not there yet. We're still in the stuck in the stage of like, uh, we're, we're, we're having this conversation. We're trying to define what it is, but if we define it, it becomes another place. So it's, it's hard to do that. And, and I know you mentioned neuroscience a couple of times and, and, and I'm very curious. Um, first of all, as to your, your curiosity on neuroscience and your experience around neuroscience, can you, can you, Tell the, the listeners a little bit more about that. Oh yeah, yeah. I should probably share. That. I'm not just like throwing around sexy words. Um, <laughs> so I'm I'm a, a candidate for my master's in cognitive neuroscience, and it's been something. Gosh, this started about five years ago. Um, mostly just I was curious about it. Like uh, a mentor of mine got into some some neuroscience research stuff, and, and she was like, you know what? I think you'd really be interested in this. I'm not a science person. I was a philosophy major in undergrad. I barely passed astronomy, and that was the only science class I took. <laughs> um, so I, I had labeled myself not a science guy. Mm. And then all of a sudden I start learning about, you know, cognitive bias and, uh, you know, the social needs versus physical needs and how that works in our brain. And it's like, I just couldn't get enough of it. And then I realized, I was becoming a significantly better coach by understanding the tool that I was both using and coaching, like the mind. Right. Which then, so then it's like this twofold of, I love this, I can't get enough of this, and it makes me way better and more effective at what I'm doing. Uh, so it, it just slowly grew to doing some courses and certifications, and then I, I woke up one day and was like, I feel like I need to get a master's in this just to, to feel like I'm using the information responsible. Right. Because, you know, I'm not completely naive. Like the word neuroscience is sexy. Throw it around. It's like, well, neuroscience shows that if you eat 20 peanuts a day, you'll live 20% longer. So I, I felt the responsibility to actually do the work more in depth just so that I know what I share is in some way true and not an overgeneralization. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, and I, I love the neuroscience work and especially in regards to the brain because the brain is such like this complex thing and it's, and it's, we're still like trying to map it and it's, 
fascinating, fascinating stuff. It really is. And I, you know, through my day-to-day work, I, I try to put in stuff with the brain, especially in regards to teenagers and how their developmental cycles around that. And uh, especially with parents too, to try to get them to understand that. Uh, I'm very curious as to, have you worked around the brain in regards to gender or in regards to um, sexuality or anything like that? Like the, like the male or the female? Um, you know, it's funny you ask that. I'm like, no. <laughs> and, and, like, it's the, the two areas, it, like, it, it probably goes back to, you know, the, the bigger vision I have of, it's about humans finding their humanity. Mm. Um, and, and so the two things that really interest me that relate to this conversation is the role of bias. Yeah. Uh, and mental health. Mm. So, like, Mental health is something I'm, I'm just so passionate about, particularly within the realm of men. Um, mm. mm-hmm. It's I, like Movember is is an organization that I actually respect a lot just for taking this stand of saying this is a thing. And other than them, there's just not that many organizations out there that are generating uh, generating knowledge and experience around mental health. Specifically for men, so yeah, specifically for men, yeah, most applicable areas that, that my research has pointed to. Can you talk to me a little about mental health? Like, what are the things that um, specifically wrong with with male mental health and and in regards to the brain? Um, because there's, well, I know for a fact that that for men, mental health is it affects them a little bit more than than it would be for females, just because of things like socialization and stigma. Um, and what what we know around mental health and thera- therapeutical practices and whatnot. Um, can, what can you tell me about uh, what you're learning and what you're seeing? Maybe something that's that's fascinating for you. Yeah. Okay. So, so there, there's a statistic that um, I keep coming across that like, oh my god, like there's something to this. So um, statistically, one in four people. So it, and it's close to like almost one in three. I, th- I think it's like. 29 to 30% of people uh, will have depression within a calendar year. Hmm. So, and, and so if you think of like within their lifetime, the majority of people will experience depression at some point. So it's not just like, oh yeah, there are the people who get depression and the people who don't. It's like everyone is probably going to get depression. The severity and, and like tenure of it is what We'll, we'll flex. Right, right. And then, right. as it really, the really interesting piece is, like, significantly more women, like, get depression. And I say get with quotes around it. So, right. Yeah. Like, in research, um, more women are uh, prescribed with major depressive disorders than men. But the inverse relationship, and I don't think this is a coincidence, is almost three times as men uh, have alcohol or drug disorders than women. And I think the, what's the conversation that's starting to bubble up there is that's not a coincidence. Yeah, totally, totally. So it's, it's not that women are more depressed than men and men are druggies and drunks. It's that going back to what you said around stigmas, the stigmatization and conversation around mental health with men is so weak that what could be a depressive disorder in men is diagnosed as an alcohol disorder because that's how they treat it. Right. Because they don't actually have a conversation or, you know, like 
I, I'm from Idaho, which I don't, maybe you don't know where Idaho is. Um, <laughs> it's, it's like a small, mountainous, uh, rather conservative state in the U.S. I, I think back to growing up and we didn't talk about mental health. No. It's just, it's not a thing. It's, yeah. it's, it's cowboys. Mm-hmm. Like all my Idaho friends who probably will never listen to this will be like, what? It's not cowboys, but. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's you're from, we're talking to an Albertan here, so we, we, <laughs> what cowboys are you in Alberta? Yeah, exactly. So, like, Idaho's straight south of Alberta, so you know what it's like, yeah. and it, it doesn't surprise me. Mm-hmm. Like, if I hadn't been fortunate enough to have the experiences that I've had, where, like, I worked for a company for eight years where I was the minority in terms of gender. Right. I was the only guy on my team for six of those eight years. So, I, I was just, I was exposed to different ways of thinking. Mm-hmm. I couldn't not be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and as lucky as I am for that, I, I think of, well, if that moment in time hadn't happened that caused that direction to happen, would I be confident enough to sit here on a podcast with a dude that I just met and say, yeah, like, I know what it's like to have depression. Right. And, and I know that in the next five years, I will have moments where I'm depressed, and that's okay. It's it's a neurological thing that happens in our brains. Just like when you go and get really drunk, you get a hangover. Mm-hmm. Like it's an impact of the decisions I make around my mental health, and how I manage that really matters. Mm. But if I don't talk about it, then I'm probably not managing it. I appreciate you being vulnerable in, in, um, in a sense that you say, you know what, it is, depression is something that, that has happened to you and it's, and it might eventually might happen again. And, you know, I can say the same thing that, that definitely I've gone through depressive cycles. And, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> even, like, I could even say even to this day, saying, uh, seeking therapy or seeking counseling is still, there's a mental block in my brain sometimes. Even like a, even being a host of a podcast of saying that people need to talk about mental health, there's still something in my head that says like, no, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. Which is the dumbest thing I've had in my head. <laughs> but it, it, but it's so, it, but it's in there. It's so in there that it's, that, that I've had for years and years and years. And it's, it's fascinating how that works. You know what I mean? <laughs> Totally. Well, it's like, so this brings in the conversation of bias. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have such a visual bias as a human that if my ankle hurts, I go to physio. If my back hurts, like there's a physical reality that, like, though I can't physically see the pain, like I see it and feel it like it's real. I see the limitations in my movement. Therefore, I'll go get it treated. I can't see my depression. And in fact, it's so invasive that it clouds my ability to see. Therefore, I'm less likely to do anything about it because I have a visual bias, not like a, a sensory bias. I don't even yeah. know what it'd be called. <laughs> no, I know, and I know exactly what you mean. I know exactly what you mean. Um, I kind of I want to touch upon something that you mentioned that, um, and it's a question I had for you. You you worked. Uh, in an environment, you said where you were the minority, you were in a minority in a gender. Um, that was in Lululemon, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, I was listening to your other podcast about it, so I was just trying to do some research. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm I'm very very curious about this because I um, back in when it feels like back when you started Lululemon, that 
that was around a time when Lululemon was considered to be quote unquote for girls, uh, or for, for women. Um, what was your thought process in your head trying to work for that or working for that company or even beforehand? Would you, was there a time when you're like, I can't do this. Like this is, this is for girls. I, I don't know what I'm doing here. Yeah. It's so funny. You say, that. I mean, I would, I, I'm 99%. Con- I mean, I know actually that, like part of the reason I even got a job was because I was a guy mm. and I started in stores and I happened to walk into a store that had no men working there and they had men's clothing. Right. And like, that's a pretty simple logical chain of we have men's clothing, we should probably have a man here to do things with it. <laughs> to even wear it, right? Like just have him stand in the corner wearing clothing. Um, so like maybe that's what helped get me the job that and my like super charming smile. But um, Too bad I can't see the podcast. So. <laughs> we'll get a picture of it. Trust, Don't worry. Trust me, trust me, podcast world. The smile is so charming. <laughs> yeah, but I remember actually having a conversation with. Uh, this was probably four, three or four years later, and this, you know I was doing leadership work, and a, uh, a a regional manager from one of the regions. She's a regional manager. Of course, she's from one of the regions. <laughs> Moving on, uh, reached out to me and she had a store manager who was a guy who was really struggling with what his role in the organization was. And she was just asking me, she's like, has this ever been a thing for you? And that's when it clicked for me. I was like, oh, absolutely. Like, I remember moments where I would stop and say, do I fit in here? Mm. Because especially back then, yeah. they're just, you know, it was 90 plus percent female. And, like, I never felt, like, I don't want people to hear this and think I felt ostracized or anything like that. It, it wasn't like that. Like, it, it was, it was an awesome environment and I loved it. And I had a very different experience as a human than most of the people I was working with. And I had to consciously make that choice every, every day of how do I find my way to continually express myself and connect and relate with the people around me in the ways that they want to express themselves. Which that's, hey, it's simple to say, but it's quite challenging to do. And that's why different social circles and cliques form anyway, because it's way easier to hang out with and express myself with people who do it the exact same way as me. Right. But that's not necessarily healthy. Yeah. Yeah, no, totally. And I, I, I totally connect to that because I, I also work for a place that is for the most part, uh, women. And, um, you write about the, but the sense of the privilege of like getting the, getting the job because you're a guy. Cause I've definitely experienced that too. And I think people just like, Oh, you're a guy that wants to be in his career. Like, absolutely. You can, <laughs> it's like a, it's like, like looking for like a, like a dodo bird or something. Um, but, um, <laughs> it, how did you find that? You, you said you, you, you liked working there, but it was, it was kind of a, a dissonance of like, do I fit in or do I not fit in? And did you manage to evolve around that or was that, was that something that was still stuck in your head? And once you, once you left, mm, I like that question. I think like there's, there's a duality to it. So part of it was the exploration of like, how do I see the people I'm working with for who, like the humans that they are? Mm-hmm. Um, and, how do I grow and, and remain confident in who I am without losing that? It's, I think it like the one lesson I learned from my undergraduate 
I became not myself to fit in and, and be someone amongst all my college friends. Like, I, I might be one of the few people to graduate university in the States who was, I was really ready to be done with college. That's probably not true. I'm sure there's lots of people. But, like, I was done. I was complete. I loved college, and I was ready for the next step because I realized I had an opportunity to start my identity over mm-hmm. and not lose myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's this funny push-pull of how do I become a part of this group and see things how they see them, but also maintain myself. Right. With without being closed minded and say, well this is me and this is the way I am. Like I'm I'm so imperfect. I have plenty of things to learn and grow and realize that I can be quite stubborn. Yeah, no, it's that's 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 very fair and it's like like I mentioned before, it's kind of a vulnerable statement to say those kind of things. So that's modern manhood for this week. Thank you to David Ogle for making me laugh at myself <laughs> and taking the time to answer all of my questions in a genuine manner. So you'll hear part two of my conversation with David in the next Modern Manhood. In the meantime, check out David's coaching website, dosecoaching.com, especially his blog, which is filled with amazing stuff. All episodes of Modern Manhood can be found at modernmanhood.org and broadcasting on gradio.ca. You can also find me at Modern Man Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. So that's it. See you next time on Modern Manhood, presented by Next Gen Men.